Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. So good to see everybody in God's house. Why don't you turn to somebody sitting next to you and say, you are blessed to be sitting next to me. (laughs) Amen. It is so good to see you in God's house. We uh, are excited to be back. Last week I was uh, preaching at iHeart Church in Beckley and uh, we've been in a series here called The Will To and we've talked about the will to war, the will to win. And then last week, our executive pastor, Pastor Josh, preached on the will to work. Did you guys enjoy that? Didn't Pastor Josh do a great job? <laughs> Wonderful job bringing, bringing the word to us. And uh, this, this series has been interesting because we've been talking about uh, raising up a generation that is engaged in the things of God and uh, talking about how that Uh, In the book of Judges, which we're getting ready to read, how one generation, they fought so well that one generation didn't even understand the battles uh, of the previous generation. And, And we love that and we appreciate that, but we want everybody to be engaged in the things of God. And, and so a lot of this series has been challenging in the fact that we have been stretching you to get plugged in because everybody has a purpose, and, and there's a purpose for your family, your job, your career, but how many know we all have purpose that's attached to the local church as well? Uh, it is the light of the world, the city set on a hill. Uh, The church is what Jesus said, I'm going to build it, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the local church is powerful, and you have purpose tied to it, attached to it. Uh, And so I just want to encourage you, if you're not plugged in yet, the last Sunday of August, you need to make sure you get registered either online or stop by guest services. Let somebody know you're ready to get connected and start serving and attach some purpose to the local church. I promise it'll be a blessing to you. I want to close this series out, though, by talking to you about the will to worship. Hit somebody and just tell them the will to worship. The will to worship. Judges chapter 3 has been our key verse. Verses 1 and 2, all four weeks, it says, Now these are the nations which the Lord left, that he might test Israel by them. That is, all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. This was only so that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught to know war at least those who had not formerly known it. So the premise is one generation fought well, but another generation didn't know how to fight. And God says, I left nations in the land to teach a new generation. It's not just a younger generation. You may be 70 years old and you just got saved. You're a part of a new generation. All right, so it's not an age thing. It's about getting involved. And so one generation fought so well that another generation did not understand the battle, the the fight, the wars of the previous generation. And so we understand that if we're going to do anything significant in the world, we have to have a want to, a desire to do it. That's why we're calling this series The Will To. you got to be intentional. We have to develop a will to war, a will to win, a will to work, and today, a will to worship. I want to go to Genesis 35. We're going to give you a couple of things here that I think will help me develop the thought because this, this sermon today is probably going to go in a direction you're not expecting. All right? Hit your neighbor and tell them, hang in there. Hang in there. Genesis 35, it says, Then God said to Jacob, Get up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God. Very important. May want to underline that, highlight that. He built an altar to God. It says, Who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods that you have and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God. There it is again, I'm gonna build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears. Nobody getting nervous, I'm not collecting earrings. (laughs) All right, just threw that in there. Make sure you're listening. And Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem, and then they set out, and the terror of God fell on the towns all around them. 
so that no one purchased or, or pursued them. So I wanted to show you this text because in Scripture, building altars was very significant. Um, you, you see a lot of the heroes of the faith, the patriarchs of the faith, they would build altars, a place where they would meet with God. And Jacob is in this text, he is building an altar uh, because he is acknowledging God in his life. He's, he's acknowledging the fact that he needs to meet with God. And the cool thing is, is that he builds this altar and God takes notice of him building this altar. And, and because of that, he blesses Jacob and protects Jacob. And, and the scripture tells us that, that basically by him building an altar, it stopped the enemy in his tracks. Uh, I, I find it interesting that all throughout scripture, when Israel would go to battle, they didn't send out like the, the warriors or, or the fight. They, they sent out the praise team. They sent out the worshipers. The Bible says that Judah goes first. Judah always went first into battle because there is something about worship that will stop the enemy in his tracks. For those of you that are really struggling, I just want to encourage you, if you could find your place and your heart in a place of worship today, you could probably start turning some things around in your life if you would learn how to build an altar altar and worship even in a bad spot. And so that's what Jacob did. And, and, and this whole worship thing, um, we have to have a made up mind about worship. Like we can't be the person that said, I'll worship if music's good. I'll worship if they greeted me well. If that co iced coffee was good, I'm going to worship. They sing the song I like, I'm, I'm worshiping, you know. Uh, worship's not even about music. Worship, obviously it involves music and we sing and all that stuff, but worship is so much more than raising our hands, clapping our hands, singing songs, playing music. So, because you can be in the midst of worship and not worship. You can be in the midst of praise and worship. I, I, I wasn't looking around the room, so I ain't judging anybody, but I'm saying that as we were worshiping a few minutes ago, there was some people in worship but there's a lot of people not in worship. Now, that's not a dig. I, that's just, how I many, that's just the truth. Hit your neighbor and say, that's just the truth. All right, it's just the truth. Some of us were not engaged, even though we were in an atmosphere of worship. And, and so, worship is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. The concept of worship is, is so, so important. And I don't want to preach this as self-righteous. I don't want to preach it like past you because I don't always get the worship thing right. All right? I don't always get it right. And, and God is real patient with me. Sometimes he tells my, my angels that watch over me, he probably says, hey, just give him a little time. He'll get there. You, you know, like he, he's, how many are thankful that God's patient with you, right, while you figure this thing out? Uh, but, but I don't always get it right. But here's what I do know. When I get the worship thing right, things tend to work out. I don't always get it right. But when I do get it right, things work out. Um, the will to worship is important because worship affects everything. It affects everything. In, everything in our lives can be affected by our will to worship and also by what we worship. See, if you get worship right, dealing with people gets easier. <laughs> if you have the right perspective when it comes to worship, you understand that those people that drive you crazy, they are still God's creation and I can't treat you any old way because part of worshiping God is treating you right. I'm preaching good right there. See, we, 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 we think, oh, here's worship. No, worship's like loving your brother. Getting past an offense. That's worship. There's many different forms to worship. When, when people worship, you don't have to pull on them to do the right thing. When, when people worship, they, they handle money better because you can't worship God and money. It settles a lot of issues when you worship. So it affects everything in my life, but it is a lifestyle. And I believe very strongly in the, in the power and, and the importance of corporate worship. Uh, I, I believe there's strength in it. 
I believe there's an anointing present when we're all together singing uh, a song together, lifted hands together. There is a power in that. Uh, it's corporate worship. It is, it is a sign to our community. It's a sign to lost people when they come in here and see hundreds and hundreds of people lifting up the name of Jesus. How many know that's a powerful thing? And so we, we're not discounting the power of corporate worship, but we don't want to limit worship to just us singing songs and raising hands. Worship is a lifestyle, and it takes on many different forms. Some people worship with their art. Some people worship with dance. Some people mentor other people, and that is worship unto God. Some people may coach a, a, a team, a baseball team or a football team, and it's, an, it's a sacrifice that they are giving of their time. How many you could coach uh, a basketball team just because you love basketball, but if you coach a basketball team because you want to make somebody else's child better, how many of that's worship at that point? You can turn a lot of things in to worship because it's not always about the act itself. It's about the motivation of the act. Worship's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. And when I have the right perspective of worship, it's hard to come in here and sing songs and lift my hands and praise God and then act like a fool on Monday and be mean to people. It's hard to do that when I have the right perspective of worship because I understand not, not only my relationship with God is worship, but my relationship with you is worship. I don't worship you, but if I don't treat you properly and I don't honor you, then I'm not worshiping God. And so it's a very powerful thing. There's a lot of people, man, that will come in and they, because worship, this is not like a contest of who's the loudest and, and who runs the fastest and, you know, who sweats the most during worship. It's about, come on somebody. It's about, is your heart in the right place? Is your heart in the right place? Are you acknowledging God in every aspect of your life? Because anything you offer up to God as a sacrifice is worship. So I got to get the worship thing right. Worship helps me to keep things in its proper place. Um, people who are disagreeable, that's the only way I know how to say it. They're uh, contrarians. They like to fight with people and argue with people. Y'all don't know anybody like that. Just look ahead, all right? Please don't look at your spouse. But they're just disagreeable. They're hard to get along with. And, and, and part of the problem is they have idolatry in their life. And, and, and the idolatry is, is that they, they have made a God out of their own opinion. So it doesn't matter what room they're in, they're disagreeable. They're hard to get along with because they worship their opinion. They worship Oh, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Y'all just going to be thankful. When this series is over, you're like, praise the Lord. Next Sunday, we get the Holy Ghost, right? Holy Spirit series. But we, we got to get, get the worship thing right. We got to get it right. It's not just about singing songs. Not just about clapping hands. It's about the way we treat others. It's about our heart. Where, where's our heart when we worship? How many of you have learned that it's, it's easier to get along with people when you and God are all right. Right? <clears throat> I'm going to say this another way. How many of you have found out that you shouldn't even talk to certain people until you've talked to Jesus first? <laughs> you see their name on your calendar and you're like, oh, dear God, help. Because you know if you don't talk to Jesus before you talk with them, you're going to give them about three pieces of your mind. Because you see that name, you're like, it just brings like emotion. Like, you better go talk to Jesus before you talk to them. We all have those kind of people in our life that we know if we're going to talk to them, see them, be around them, we better be good with God and we better have talked to God before we have that conversation. Because when I get the lifestyle of worship right, I, I, I'm not, I won't be short with people. I won't be cranky with people. I won't be impatient with people. I won't get mad over things. I shouldn't get mad. How I many of worship can fix a lot of that? If my heart is in the right place, it will keep me from, from treating others poorly. The lifestyle of worship. It's interesting to me that there is a place all throughout Scripture where God would meet with his people. Um, they called it an altar. They would build an altar. And Jacob did that. And he, he told the people, he said, I'm building an altar and I want you to put away your strange gods and I want you to change clothes. In other words, I want you to prepare for this moment because we're about to meet with God. 
I, I want you to get ready for this moment. And, and this concept of building an altar, we read that and we struggle because we think build an altar. Like, what do you mean? Like, is that like wood in the front of the church? Is it, is it wood, brick, stones, and mortar? That, that's not what we're talking. An altar for a New Testament believer or follower of Christ is not that we go out in our backyard and we build something. And An altar, that, that's your heart. Like, it, it is make, it, it's, we're building an altar on the inside. Does that make sense? We're, we're, we're giving God an opportunity to speak to us, and it's not so much about something physical. It's about something spiritual spiritual, something in our heart. And a lot of times we're going to get to it at the end. We have to bring some stuff that's in our heart and put it on the altar as a sacrifice. If we're going to meet with God and hear from God and be changed by God, we have to, we have to be willing to put some things on the altar. It's, it's going to be a little tough, but we're going to get to a good place. All right. We're going to, we're going, we're going to get to a good place. But when it comes to building an altar, this concept was important because it, it presumed determination and premeditation. They had to think through what they were about to do. They, they, they didn't just do this on a whim. In the Old Testament, a lot of times they would prepare for a whole year for one worship service. So they didn't like just grab a lamb two minutes before church. And bring that thing in there and say, this is my offering, Lord. They thought about it for a year. They, they thought about it. They planned it. That, that's why I'm telling you, you got to have a will to worship. That when we bring our heart to God and we build an altar unto God in our heart and we have a lifestyle of worship, we don't just bring leftovers. We don't just bring the parts we want to bring. We're planning. We're premeditating. We're intentional because we have a will to worship God. You say, well, I don't feel like we're... We have to move from emotion to devotion. Nobody worried about your feelings when it comes to worship. Like, how many know if, we, if it was all about how I feel, I wouldn't preach half the time. Hey, team, I'm not doing it. I had a rough week. I was mean to Karen this week. I can't go out there like this. I had a bad attitude yesterday. I, I just don't feel good. I mean, our worship, whether you feel it or not, God's still worthy of your praise. He's still worthy of worship. It's an intentional act. It's something I'm prepping to do. It's not on a whim. And so they would plan around this, and, and they were prepared for it. And so many of the great people that we read about and respect in the Scripture, they built altars. Abraham built an altar. It's, it's in on the online notes. I won't read it all to you, but Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, it says, uh, we'll read the first two verses just so you can see this point. It says, early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded, loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Now, I just want to stop here. We, we understand Isaac is the promise. He finally got the promise. But now God's saying, I want you to put the promise on the altar. I want you to kill the promise. I want you to kill what I've given you. And Abraham, just crazy enough faith to say, yes, Lord, I'm, I'm going to have a heart of worship. I'm going to do this, even though it's difficult. And, and I want you to see, he saw the place from a distance. From a distance. In other words, this wasn't something he could accomplish in a day. This wasn't something that he could come up with five minutes before time. Like he, he saw it from a distance. He was preparing for it. It took some time. But what Abraham didn't know is that as he was walking this out and he's being obedient and he's carrying the wood and everything he needs to take the promise up because I'm going to worship God. I'm going to build an altar. I'm going to sacrifice the promise. As he's going up one side of the, the mountain, God is allowing a ram to come up the other side of the mountain. And the scripture says that when Abraham drew the knife and got ready to take his son, God stopped him and said, I have provided a ram in the thicket. And Abraham called the name 
name of the place, what God meant to him, he called it Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who sees ahead of time and provides for my need. Anybody thankful that God sees your need before it ever happens and he's already provided for it? I'm feeling like preaching now. It's taken an hour and a half to get there, but I'm about there. Now, now so, so God provides, and God says, because, and this is the part I love, because you've obeyed. The King James Version says, in blessing, I will bless you. In multiplying, I will multiply you. And your seed will possess the gates of their enemies. What's God telling us? God is telling us very clearly that because you have built an altar and you have a lifestyle of worship, not only am I going to bless you, but I am going to bless your kids and they're going to possess the gates of your enemies, which means there are some enemies my kids won't fight because God is going to set them up in a better place than I started out in. How many know this thing's not just for the generation at present, but it's for future generations. God said, I'll bless you and all the generations coming after you because you have you have built an altar you have demonstrated a lifestyle of worship some of you are extremely blessed right now and it's not even because of what you did I'm holding a microphone preaching to hundreds and hundreds of people because of two people in the front row my parents who let's go ahead and just say what it is They had a lifestyle of worship. They had a place of prayer. They built an altar in their own home, and I got to start where they left off. And, and so there, there is something powerful that takes place when we, when we build an altar and we have a lifestyle of worship. God only knows what he's going to do in my kids because of, of me building an altar and what God's going to do in your kids because you built an altar and you have a lifestyle of worship. The problem is, is we got parents that carry their kids to church but don't teach them worship. Because what they see at church and what they see at home is not the same. We carry them to church and we fix our kids, pastor, children's coordinator. But all week long, we're not going to have, we're not going to build any altars not going to have any prayer time, any devotion time. We're not, never going to speak the word over them, never going to pray over them. We're just going to carry them to church. And then we want, wonder why when they get old enough that they struggle against the enemies that have been assigned to them. They struggle against enemies because they've never seen a lifestyle of war. I'm telling you, by you saying, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord and we're going to build an altar. We're going to demonstrate a lifestyle of worship. It is setting your kids up to be a blessing. It will help them. It'll be a blessing to them. Altars affect generations. It attracts the blessing. It attracts the kingdom of God. Like, when, when, when you build an altar in your own heart, you don't have to go looking for blessing. It, comes find, it will come find you. That's why God says, surely goodness and mercy will follow. Like, I'm not chasing that stuff. If I'll do what God's called me to do, blessing will track me down. It'll trace me down. Everywhere I go, I'll be blessed because I have a life of worship. My heart is in the right place. Powerful, powerful thing because in Scripture, we we learned that there's not only righteous altars, Abraham, Jacob, Noah built altars, and, and, and the, no, the, the, the altars that he built, um, one, of, one of those altars, there was a blessing that protected his family, and the second altar blessed all of humanity. Like it was a blessing to him and future generations. But we see in Scripture that there are righteous altars, but there are also unrighteous altars. Now, I'm not trying to spook people out, but you guys know that, that people that are in the occult or um, satanic worship, how many, they build altars. They build altars that attract evil spirits. The same way a righteous altar would attract, how many evil spirits are fallen angels? That's what they are. So, so good or bad, we are, we're attracting something by what we're building with our lives. Our lives are altars. And so we're attracting good things or, 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 or negative things based on 
our response to, to God and, and where our heart is. And, and we see in, in Numbers chapter 23, um, it demonstrates this. Let me just say right here that if you're not going to build an altar and, and in your home, in your life, for your family, then what you're going to find out is that there are unrighteous altars already working against you against cities, against territories, against bloodlines, against families and people. Like, th th there are things working against us. And, and that's why the scripture says we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We don't wrestle with those things. We, we're not wrestling with people. We're wrestling with, with spiritual powers. And the only way to combat that, when you look at the story in, in Numbers 23, it says, um, Balaam said, build me seven altars here. And prepare seven bulls and seven rams for me. And Balak did as Balaam said. And the two of them offered a bull and a ram uh, on each altar. And, and so what we see is that in this story, Balaam hired a prophet to put a curse on the people. Now, we, we just need to say time out. Like, they wouldn't go out and find people to do it if it didn't work. All right? So, so I'm, I'm showing you that unrighteous altars okay, releases negative things against us. And so he's hiring this prophet to put a curse on the people and they're building altars to do it. They're, they're sacrificing, I mean the whole nine yards, they're doing everything they can to make this happen. And he, he's doing it and then God puts a word in the prophet's mouth and this is what I love because when you start building the right kind of altars, here's what God says. How can I curse what God has blessed? That, that there, there is a place that you can get to in God and in your worship that no matter what demon, what witch, what, 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 what person tries to put a curse on you or come against you, how many know they can't curse what God has already decided he's going to bless? So he found out real quick, I can't curse what God has blessed. And so there is a spiritual world, and we're not fighting flesh and blood, and we combat those unrighteous altars by, that produce limitation and frustration in the lives of people, and we have to tear those altars down by building the right kind of altars, by, by saying, hey, str struggle is not your portion. Strife is not your portion. That, that you don't have to be in, in suffering all the days of your life. It, it's kind of like there are territories that I've been to, and I can go and preach my guts out, and I'm telling you, you, it, you can just feel that nobody wants anything to do with it. How many of that's spiritual? Like, they, there's no amen to it. There's no yes to it. It's like almost like they mad. How many of that's a spiritual issue? But you can take that same word to another territory and the people running through walls getting miracles. Why? Because there's an agreement. There's a, there's a power in that. And, and, and so we have to learn how to tear down the negative altars and, and build the right kind of altars. And God says, in blessing, I will bless you and your children will possess the gates of their enemies. A lot of our children are, are, are battling battles they shouldn't have to battle. Because the altar is a place where you and God meet. That's why you want to build one. God says, I'll meet you there. At the altar, the presence of God dwells. It's also a place of sacrifice. It literally means that the altar is a place where something has to die. Something has to die. It's one thing to worship God when everything in your life is good. And that's great. We, we thank God for the blessing and the good things. But how many know it's another thing to worship God when your life's falling apart? But even in your bad days, when you worship, it becomes a blessing because the devil has just turned a praise of thanksgiving into a sacrifice of praise. That, that if, I'm, if I'm really going to worship God, then something's going to have to die. The other thing I've learned, if I'm really going to worship God, then it means I'll always have something to put on the altar. Even on my best days, I still got mess that needs to go on the altar. I got issues that need to be put on the altar. Even on my best days. And so it's not only a place where something has to die, it's a place where, where something else can get up. So, so God says, I'll meet you at the altar and it's going to be a place of exchange. You put 
what needs to die on the altar, and I'll give you what needs to live. You bring your ashes, and I'll bring the beauty. You bring the spirit of heaviness, I'll bring a garment of praise. You bring your iron, I'll bring silver. You bring your sin, I'll, I'll bring righteousness. You bring your troubled mind, I'll give you some answers. You bring your weakness, and I'll bring my strength. You bring what you need that needs to die so that I can give you what needs to live. It's a place of exchange. God says, just bring it, put it on the altar, and let that thing die. Abraham had to let a ram die so that Isaac could get up. God had to let Jesus die so that you could get up. It's a place of exchange. But we live in a time where people don't really understand sacrifice or the cost of things. They don't, they don't understand that, that true worship will always cost something. Anybody can move their lips and sing the songs and halfway raise their hand. But when it's time to really put something on the altar that needs to die, that's another level. It's kind of like Elijah. The, the cool thing is, is that if you're, if you're in a bad spot, you can repair the altar. The scripture teaches in, in 1 Kings that Elijah, the prophet, he repaired the altar that was broken down. And he repaired it while the prophets of Baal had built all these other altars, unrighteous altars. While they were building that, the scripture says the altar of God was broken down, but it says that Elijah repaired it. And when he repaired it, the people's hearts turned. And so it's God's way of saying that if you'll repair the altar, even if it's in a bad place, if you'll repair it, I'll turn your heart. I'll change that. And the next thing that happened is, is once he repaired that altar, he prayed to God, and the Bible says that the fire came down, consumed that altar, the sacrifice, the water, all of that. God says, if you'll build me an altar in your heart, I'll send the fire into your life. I'll send my presence into your life. I'll burn out everything in you that you don't need. But you got re- to be willing to repair the altar, to repair it. Not only do we repair it, not only does it attract blessing, but it will cost something. Look at what David said in 1 Chronicles 21. It says, but King David, or let's, let's do 1 Chronicles 21. Um, there's several verses you can read online in context, but verse 24, it says, but King David replied, and he said, no, I insist on paying the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours or sacrifice a burnt offering that cost me nothing. David said, you can't bring God something that costs you nothing. Like, just throw some, fling something at God, like, and, it, and you don't even have to think about it. That's not worship. Worship will always cost you something. It'll cost you your pride. It'll cost you your money, because it ain't yours anyway. It's his. Worship always costs something. Now, here's the deep part of the message, and I know some of you are thinking, I thought we were already in a deep end. I'm drowning. But but I want you to see this verse, Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Jesus, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. I love this because Jesus doesn't say, pick your gift up and go, make it right. Jesus says, I want you to leave your gift there at the altar and go make it right. And, and, and the thing is, why would God tell me to leave the gift? Like, why shouldn't I take it with me, make it right, bring it back? God says, leave it there because it ensures I'll come back to it. Because y'all know how we are in church. God speaks, tells us to do something, and on our way to do it, we change our mind. But if I leave something on the altar, if there's a sacrifice on the altar, it means I have skin in the game. I've invested something in this, so it's going to ensure that I come back to it. So I, I want you to make it right, but I want you to leave that gift. For it to work the way God wants it to work, which is an open heaven, it attracts blessing into your life, I have to take care of it the way God wants me to take care of it. See, worship as a lifestyle means 
that I will probably always have something to put on the altar. And so I have a list for you. Seven things. And I just want to ask you, do you need to put any of these on the altar so that you can develop a heart of worship, a lifestyle of worship? Number one, the need to be right. Yeah, this is going to be great. Sometimes it's hard to get through life because some people have the need to be right. And what I would tell you about that is, is that in the heart of God, in the heart of God, the relationship is more important than your need to be right. I can't tell you how many times that I've went to the Lord over somebody. Y'all know what I'm talking about. God, get them. And every time I do, he doesn't talk to me about them. He always talks to me about me. The need to be right. Some of us have that strong, like we, we just got to be right. Have you ever had to crucify your need to be right to get along with somebody? It's not the easiest thing to do, but in the letting go of that need to be right, it saves the relationship. How I many of that bless your marriage if you didn't have to be right? I just fixed some marriages right there. It didn't cost you $100 an hour for counseling. Right there. Sacrifice, put your need to be right on the altar. Because it's worship. Secondly, the need to be recognized. Man, I see this one a lot. There are some people, man, they just have a need to be seen. And the truth is, all of us hate to be overlooked. We don't like to be ignored. We know that children act out if they're ignored too much, right? Even if it's negative attention, at least they got some. Some adults act out because they don't want to be overlooked, don't want to be ignored. If you're part of a team, an organization, a business, and yes, even a church, you will not always be recognized. And you've got to come to grips with that. You need to take that need to be recognized and put it on the altar. Now, the disclaimer is, I'm not saying that you should never be recognized. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't tell you thank you for a job well done. I'm not teaching that. I'm talking about your response to not being recognized. See, when I lay it on the altar, I am no longer concerned with you recognize me because I have now attracted the blessing of God. And whether you saw it and whether you recognize me or not, God has already taken notice. And God, and God is a God who can make a way out of no way. So I would much rather have his eyes on me than you recognizing me. You got to put that need on the altar. It's not, not always easy for people. Number three, the need to have the credit. Have you ever been in a position where you worked real hard on something? You put the time in, the legwork, you had the idea, you hooked it all up, you killed yourself doing it. And somebody comes in last minute and they got the credit. Now that one's a tough, that's a tough pill to swallow because if you don't have an altar built, there's no place to kill that. <laughs> that thing will run wild in your life. If I don't have an altar built, then I don't have a place to take that. I have no place to kill it. It becomes a beast in the field, the fowl of the air, a vexation in my own heart because I haven't put it on the altar. See, you, here, here's the thing, and I hope somebody will grab this. You can't take from me what I freely offer as a sacrifice. You can't steal it from me if I freely give it. If I am doing it as unto the Lord, whether you get the credit or not, or I get, it doesn't matter. Maybe you got the credit and you got the applause of man, but I got the blessing of God. If I did it as unto the Lord. You find out in church, though, a lot of people aren't doing it unto the Lord. They're doing it to get credit. Because the moment they don't get it, they mad. I thought you were doing it 
for God. Oh, let's have that conversation. Number four, the need to say, I told you so. Worship team, y'all better come, and this is going to get rough. I told you so. And religious people, man, they're, they're rough. Because they, they, I told you, I told you, I told you. Have you ever had somebody come to you and say, hey, what would you do in this situation? And you look at them in the eyes and you tell them, I, hey, I, I wouldn't do it that way. I would slow down. Mm, I would rethink that. And you give them sound advice. They're looking at you. They hear it. But they go on and do what they want to do anyway. Now, that's one thing. But here's the kicker. A lot of those people come back and say, hey, can you help me fix what I just messed up? Now, how many know in that moment, I have to resist the temptation to say, hey, dummy, I told you. Religious people will say, hey, dummy, hey, silly, I told you, I told you, I told you. Oh, come here, Jesus loves you. Y'all know how religious people are. We're going to get, we, we got to make up in our mind that, that we're, we're not just going to say, I told you, but we're going to find a way to help people because the truth is, most of the time when people mess it up and you've already given them good advice on the front end and they mess it up, how many, when they come to you and say, can you help me fix, they already know they messed up. They already know. It's kind of like someone drowning in a lake. You see someone drowning and they've done gone under three different times. They don't have time for you to say, hey, did you not see the sign? No swimming allowed. No swimming here. They're, they're about to die. They don't have time for you to point to the sign. They don't have time for you to change clothes. Like they just need somebody that will jump in the water and rescue a lot. And sometimes we got to resist the temptation to say, I told you so, so that we can rescue someone, so that we can save someone. Number five, the need to control things. Anybody ever feel that need? Come on, where are my control freaks at? I know I got some. We got some. Man, the thing about people that want to control things is they're usually tired all the time. And the reason they're tired all the time is because they, they have this temptation like to control things and it's kind of like they want to grab and you sit here and you go there and you do this and, and they're, they're just fixing everything. And, and I get on some people's nerves because I've gotten to that place in my life that there are some things that are not worth my attention. And so people will come and say, what about this? And what about that? And what about this? And I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. And I'm not even being mean. I'm just saying, I don't have the emotional energy to give to something that I can't control anyway. And I'm not going to wear myself out trying to control things. And I'm definitely not going to try to control people. I'm not, I'm not going to try to control people. And the reason is because anybody you try to control will ultimately resent you. Because if you violate my self-will and you make me do what you want me to do all the time, that ain't making me love you. I'm preaching real good right here. So just leave me in my lazy boy and you go on and control all that. Let me know how it turns out. Because people that want to control people and things never have peace they never have peace you gotta you gotta let that thing go number six hit your neighbor and tell him he's almost done now tell him praise the lord all right number six the need to hear from someone else i'm sorry some people don't forgive until they hear those two words they never forgive unless they hear it. They're like, you got to come and say, I'm sorry, before they can move on. But the question is, is what if you never hear those words? How many of you understand sometimes I'm sorry never comes? So what are you going to do with that? You're going to forfeit your entire destiny over two words? Because when Jesus talks about the issue, Jesus doesn't even address the person who offended you. 
He said, if you're offended, forgive. He doesn't talk about them. He says, you got one of two things you can do. You can get mad and bitter and forfeit your destiny, or you can do what I'm telling you to do. You can forgive them and let them go because sometimes you won't hear it anyway. You got, you got to let some things go. You got to be able to get past some things. See, we, we need to be quick to apologize. We need to be quick to repent. But at the same time, we have to live with an expectation that I'm sorry may never come. Sometimes you'll even get, if you're one of those people that has to have I'm sorry, sometimes you're going to get it and it doesn't mean anything. All the men can help me right here. A man will tell you I'm sorry just to get you to be quiet. They, they even heard what you're mad about. They heard your tone. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Am I preaching the truth right there? Like it don't even mean it. You just I'm sorry. I, I, I recognize that tone. I'm sorry. <laughs> Number seven. We're ending right here. The need to get my own way. A lifestyle of worship means that I don't have to get my way. It means that I can actually prefer my brother. That, that I don't have to be the person where everybody that's connected to me, they got to eat what I want to eat. Bless God, we vacation where I want to vacation. We're going to go where I want to go. We're going to do what I want to do. Like, you, you, if you're going to live a life that's honoring to God and, and, a, and have a heart of worship, you, you can't be that person. Because what it does is it turns you into a brat. Because you bring the way you handle those relationships, you bring it into your relationship with God. And so when God starts speaking to you, I need you to do this, you're like, no, God, that ain't my way. And so you end up wrestling with God for days, weeks, months, and years over something you should have settled a long time ago. But because you always have to have it your way, you and God are always wrestling. And, and we determine how long that wrestling match goes on. Jacob found out real quick that you can only wrestle with God so long because God knocked his hip out of, so out of socket. The scripture says that he walked with a limp after that. How many know when you get in the presence of God, it's going to change the way you walk. You're not always going to get your way. The, the other thing is, we'll finish up with this. As you stand up, I got to just quit. Y'all going to be mad for two weeks over this. We, we, we got to be willing to put what we want on the altar. Our need to be right, all that. You got to just put that stuff to, you know, you just got you got to put it on the altar. It's intent. That's why we're saying the will to worship. It's intentional. I'm thinking this out. I, what I want on the altar. My needs on the altar. The other thing is, it, some of us, we think everything is right and wrong. Black and white. We, we think it's one. It, it's not. Sometimes it's not right or wrong. Sometimes there's just another way to do it. But your need to have it your way won't let you recognize there's another way. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. Is this all right? So if I'm gonna have a lifestyle of worship and I'm gonna build the right kind of altars in my heart, I gotta be willing to put something on the altar. And what I love about worship is you, God will always have something for you to put on the altar. There'll always be something for you to put on the altar. Even if you've had adversity in your life, could that be God's way of giving you something to put on the altar so that you can truly worship? You say, well, I struggled last week, Pastor. I just had a bad week, did some things I shouldn't have done. Well, now you got something to put on the altar. You got something to put on the altar. God can't consume the sacrifice if you've not put anything there. 
So God says, come with your flaws, come with your issues, come with your pride, but let's, let's all bring it and let's all put it on the altar recognizing that God's been good to us. We haven't always done it the right way, but we're choosing, we're intentional to worship. We have a will to worship. And even if I've messed up, I'm still gonna bring my worship. I'm gonna put my flaw on the altar and I'm gonna honor God. Come on, somebody, let's give God praise if you believe that today. you to bow your heads and close your eyes no one looking around if you're in this place today and you're not in relationship with Jesus Christ man that part of part of coming into a relationship with Jesus is you're laying your life down you're saying hey it's not my way I'm following Jesus it's his way and so we want to give you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life if you're here and you're not in relationship with God and you want to make that commitment today you want to invite Jesus into your heart you want to be saved. If that's you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are and say, that's me, Pastor. I want to be saved. I need Jesus to save me. I need him to forgive me. If that is you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are? I'm not going to embarrass anyone, anyone at all. Thank you for the five that are online and the one over here. God bless you. Awesome. Before we pray, I want to share this with you. Um, I don't get a lot of prophetic words. And, and part of that is what I've learned in my relationship with God is that when I first got saved and was called to preach, it was like everywhere I went, somebody had a prophecy. And it was awesome. I was so appreciative because I, I, I didn't know how to live by faith at all. Like everything was sight. I needed a word, needed a word, needed a word. But, but as you grow in God, you gotta walk it out. How many know you gotta walk it out by faith? Uh, but I got a word about a week and a half ago, and God said that he was about to break the seal on a new bottle of wine over this house. Now, now some of y'all are like, wine? What you that, it's a representation of the Holy Spirit. That's the series we start next week, that God was going to break the seal on a new bottle of wine over this house. And that there would be miracles released because everything we had walked through as a church up to this point, God can trust us with the miraculous because we will steward it the right way. And God said it'll happen in different locations. And he said one of the areas that it's going to happen is that people are going to be healed and receive miracles as they watch online all over the world. That God is going to entrust us with something and we have to steward that thing. And, and the reason I bring light to that is because five people right now, you know, we, we just kind of, whoo! That's, that's great, Lord. How many of salvation coming out of darkness into God's light? That's a miracle every single time that happens. So come on, let's give God praise today. I want us to pray together. Every voice lifted. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself. So I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me, to come into my heart, to be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, celebrate all those people. Come on, so good, so good. I'm going to ask the prayer team and staff to come and get in place. If you need prayer for anything at all today, we are here to pray with you and for you. We have one more worship song. During this last song, don't hesitate to respond to prayer. God bless you. listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.